Welcome to another edition of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. Here we are again. We are at the end of May 2021, sitting in the office. Thank God we're here. Nice to be back. Yeah, nice to be here. We're kind of feeling a bit of normality. Um, and we have a great podcast for you today with a great guest. Um, we're going to talk about your favorite topic, sales. Sales, yeah. And we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of software sales and sales tactics and and nice. uh, all of those all of those good things. And we've got yeah. Paul Lanigan, yeah. our, my old friend Paul Lanigan. Um, he actually recently participated, you remember, for our um, town hall, uh, company-wide yeah. town hall event the other week. That was really good. Yeah. Uh, and he is he's a veteran podcaster himself. He has his own podcast set on sales leadership. Uh, I was he invited, thankfully invited me on it recently. I told him actually at the end of it he should have had you, not me. Mm. Uh, got the, he had the wrong guest, but maybe he might he might fix that later. Paul is the managing director of Sandler Training Ireland and is a trainer. Obviously, he's met many the good, mm. the bad, and the ugly salesperson over the years. So looking forward to that. Yeah, we've a few we've a few good, bad, and ugly stories for you later. Excellent. Well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, how are you? I'm great. I mean, you're looking fantastic. I think you're all dressed up, suited and booted. I don't know why. It's, uh, it's an audio uh, podcast. Well, I was, you know, you never know. There's a camera there that might, they might use some of the images. Uh, no, actually, okay. I, I actually was at an event earlier. Right. I was on. Oh, um, tell us. Yeah, yeah, no, I was at actually a press conference in the press club in Brussels, Ooh. virtually from here, Dublin. Yeah. So, you know, I'm involved in the, if we support the free ICT organization, yeah. which lobbies uh, legislators in Europe, mm-hmm. the commission and MEPs. Mm-hmm. So we actually published <laughs> this week a uh, software paper. Right. And the software paper is being dra- was drafted by Dan Sheffert, well-known uh, yeah. lawyer based in yeah. Paris, Danish lawyer. The right to be forgotten, Dan. The right to be forgotten, Dan, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. who is a great g- story. Yeah, uh, we might actually get back on this podcast because mm. there's a pro- he's a very interesting angle around product liability obligations on software vendors. Mm. So the paper specifically was around intellectual property rights and mm. the fact that IP is typically 70 years, as you probably know, mm. and technology, I mean, the most you're using technology is at absolute le- most is 10 years, mm. but actually it's increasingly less. Mm. So yet yeah, the rights are retained. So we put a paper together to give to okay. the commission and, and legislators around that. So yeah, so I dressed so where up. Can I, where could I find that if I went looking? Oh yeah, it'll be up on Free ICD's website as we have a recording of it. Okay. Yeah, so we'll have a recording of the press briefing. Uh, some really interesting things that Dan said. So yeah, Great. very much in the two guys discussing software Irish guys, even yeah, <laughs> yeah. domain, yeah. So yeah, Excellent. yeah. So it was great to go to an event. Yeah. You know, it's finally go to an event. And um, speaking of events, we had our own. We had our own. I know. Empower. I know. Yeah, twenty twenty one. Fantastic. We, could, we actually really well. We had two hundred and fifty mm. registrations. Best event I've been at this year. No, no, no doubt. <laughs> like by far. Well, you didn't have to. Event. You didn't have to participate. But yeah, we had. We had. Yeah. Honestly, we had a, a, a really good turnout. Mm. I mean, Joanne Rosenberger from Gartner, the inimitable Joanne. What, what a job! Oh, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's yeah. just so knowledgeable, but so entertaining. And clear and yeah. decisive. It's just yeah. She knows her subject matter. She does. She had sure. the uh, what she calls the four T's: the tips, tactics, templates, can, uh, templates, Term, terms and conditions, terms. and timing. 
timing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I know fantastic stuff. And I've, I saw her, I think, was it 2018 maybe? She opened up, 2018, 2019, you're better good, good on dates, when she opened up the Gartner IT sourcing and procurement event, I think it was in. Well, the original one was in Orlando. Orlando. Yeah, yeah, and that's she, the first time. I, I met yeah. her in 2016, actually. Yeah, and, and I was uh, like, she was, I said, Geez, this lady can present, you yeah. know. Uh, but she's got substance, you know. But uh, her tactics are great, and, and some of them, I'm sure Paul, uh, who's who's on, would be able to talk about really cool stuff about, you know, knowing how, how does the sales rep get paid? Yeah. Like, knowing how they get paid their commission can help you understand yeah you know how they want to negotiate or you know really understanding the contracts yeah you know like looking at the details so you can look at the detail but she has templates so so you know guides which she's hand out to her clients and then uh the classic one is is holding out for a better deal knowing the timing of their end of year so yeah. you can hold out around a quarter but also reading their quarterly results so you can see what are they actually looking to sell Oh yeah, in this period, so, yeah. so you know what are the products that they're likely to be more more compensated on. So really clever stuff. And she was very complimentary about us and the fact that using our service <coughs> as one of those tips and tactics as a strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Like one of the things, the other thing she said, which was clever, I thought was, you know, when the when the renewal comes around, even if it's Oracle, SAP, IBM, it doesn't really matter. They just expect you to renew. Hmm. They send you the renewal letter or the renewal notice 90 days out and it's like a machine just churns out these, yeah. these there's documents. No, there's right? no selling. There's no selling. It's just, yeah, no here, selling here's our paper. Yeah. 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, comes out of a passport advantage thing. I had a, I had a yeah. customer used to call that order taking. Order taking. Yeah. yeah. Sure, that, you that, that, sit that's by the pool and just wait for the thing to come in over the over your phone fax that we used to do years yeah. ago. But she said, why don't you know, go to tender on the renewal and yeah. say, actually... I can get databases or middleware or storage or whatever it might be mm. from all of these other vendors and I'm going to go to market yeah. because actually it's much easier to swap stuff out than it used to be, yeah. you know? So she made a good point that don't be afraid. So imagine if, you know, you get IBM for their next renewal yeah. cycle said, oh, Jesus, we actually have to do some work. We have to write a response to a tender. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not built to yeah. do it. Yeah. Anyway, it's great stuff. It was, yeah, no. And we had, we had a great session from... Bob from Citizens, Srini from T-Mobile, and Eric with Josh. Mm. Um, actually, when you, all, when, you, when you have all those tips and tactics, actually, how do you get stakeholder approval? Mm. So obviously, Citizens and T-Mobile are customers of ours, and they did a cracking job talking about how they actually went around their organization mm. and actually got people to say to sign up to this. Because it is, you know, it's some of these yeah. journeys are challenging journeys to go through. So... Um, well, it's classic stuff. You need to uh, totally you know know who the key decision makers yeah. are and get to them. You you spoke about that at an event a couple of years ago. Didn't you? Yeah, yeah. We talked about the, the snakes and the ladders. Stop the block. Yeah, stop the block. And the and snakes and, and ladders. Yeah, uh, yeah. Analogy. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, to take it through the journey. So yeah, it's it's the same challenge. The challenge and the bigger the organization, the more tricky it is, and the more applications your systems you're looking at, the more software packages you're looking at. Mm. It touches different parts of the business. So you got to you got to get everybody's buy-in to the journey. Yeah, and it's not easy. You know, and they no. acknowledge that it's not easy. Yeah. You got to roll up the sleeves and yeah. take people on. So, and we had a cracking session by Pierce O'Donnell and Coon Dignan on mm. tips and tactics again, tips and tactics, but this time around IBM licensing uh, and yeah. how to navigate. That's a, such a complex word. We've talked yeah. about it yeah, before. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so many th things there. They know their stuff, so they don't make it easy for you. But people like Pierce and Coon know that mm. area so so well. They did a cracking job. We've mm. had Pierce on this podcast, yeah. and we've talked about the fact that you know if you're 
having challenges with understanding this stuff, you know, bring in people who know. Like, don't try and defend yourself. Bring yeah. in defense, and those guys, you know, yeah, were, are, yeah. We had Pierce on the podcast. We talked about. He was talking about the time the audits that were going mm-hmm. on. But mm-hmm. I mean, they, they they take advantage of all those license terms. Yeah, and, I have a little story about that coming up as well. Oh, um, very good. We're yeah. looking forward to that. And then we had what well, we had Tom Nimblet from Tia, um, with yeah. with Roan, our co-founder. Rona Donahue, they were talking about the value, looking at what how they how they can maximize the value of it. So actually the the day was cracking. And you know what? We had a great end of session with our old favorite, IBM. <laughs> we yeah. spent 40 minutes on a chat. We had Cliff Saren, who's the managing editor of Computer Weekly in the UK. He kind of moderated mm-hmm. a session with myself, uh, Eric Cunningham from Pass Advisors, who are is out of, out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, Ron Belt, who's a financial M&A specialist out of um, Amsterdam. Mm. So we actually talked about a load of things, actually. We talked about uh, IBM's share price. We talked mm. about IBM selling off. So many things we've talked about here. Yeah. Uh, What's the know, next asset they'll sell, I think, was the question. All, all the things they've sold today, what are they going to sell next? I mean, actually, one that'd be interesting for Paul, actually, is this reduction of, you know, 15,000 customers or whatever number of focused customers that IBM had, you know, yeah. and they're hundreds of thousands down to 500 globally. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? Well, they've broken up their customer base into two categories, 500 that they care about and everybody else. I know. That's, I think that's how they describe it. I know. It's, it's absolutely it's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 And, and the, the experience from the street, you know, from what I hear is that customers are getting called now by, you know, lots of sales reps in inverted commas who mm. represent the part of IBM that they care about because there isn't just one person to talk to. There isn't yeah. a client exec who'll guide you through, you know, to the brand guy. All the brand guys are individually calling the customer saying, I'm your sales rep. And the customers are just totally yeah. confused going, like, who do I talk to? Do yeah. I talk like, do I talk to 10 people? Yeah. You know, no, it's, it's, it's totally, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it, and we see it with their own people and it's reasons people are coming to us. They're getting the service. Yeah. They're yeah. getting the response. They're yeah, getting the feedback from the market to. is that the street is that they're not particularly happy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not exclusive to IBM, but yeah, any of these enterprise players been around a long time. They're coming up with crazy ideas. Uh, IBM's moved to the open source. We talk about Red Hat. We talked about the, the big story we had a couple of weeks ago was the Kindrel split out. But, uh, yeah. Has there been any other news about IBM out there? I mean, because we, we probably covered it all at the Empower, did we? Well, it's yeah, there's there's a few. We covered quite a bit about Empower, so we won't go on about them too much today. But it's kind of results season a little bit, not just the, the market results. Obviously, people doing their exams in college and school and coming out and wondering if they got an A or a B or, or here in Ireland a H1. So IBM recently got a grade. What did they get? They got an A minus. They were, oh. yeah, an A minus, you know. Were they uh, pleased with that? Downgraded by the SMP. I don't think they reacted too much to it. It's just good to see that they got a minus uh, <laughs> and they were downgraded. But they're downgraded because over doubts about the company's ability to manage their, their debt. Their debt load now stands at 56 billion, uh, quite a lot. And it's going to, and it's growing because of, you know, the, the acquisition spree of Arvid Krishna at the moment. He spent about a, a billion in acquisitions in the first quarter. So so but, they're increasing their debt. But you like, but it's interesting. We just talked about that just for a minute. I know yeah. we don't want to spend too long on IBM, but it's, it's the same with many of these companies. If you look at IBM and what mm-hmm. these organizations, they've been spending their money on two things. Like this came up at the, mm-hmm. at the Empower event. They're spending their money on either buying back the shares. Mm-hmm. So they've, they do, still generate yeah, cash. Yeah. Or they're spending their money on really poor acquisitions mm-hmm. that by the time they sell them, 
spent a huge money, like billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. They bought a, they did, bought a company there only did a week uh, for a billion a billion dollars. And was it tur- Turbonomic? Was I it? think it was Turbonomic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they they're doing this all the time, and then by the time they flip the companies, mm-hmm. they're they're worth a fraction. Yeah, you know, some of them are selling off for less than a hundred million. You know, yeah, so it, yeah. it's it's kind of we talked about this. You know, the, are they are they creating or consuming? Yeah. You know, this is very much consuming. But I mean, they're buying these companies to both obviously to bolster their hybrid cloud and AI capabilities. So yeah. you know, they've decided they're going to go down the hybrid cloud and AI route, but yet they don't have the internal capabilities. So yeah. they're having to buy the capability. Yeah. So they're they're selling off their legacy. They've launched Kindrel, you know, wherever it's going. Kindrel, yes. And then they and then they don't have the skills and the capability to grow in the business that they're targeting strategically. So they're having to buy that into the company. So it's interesting. Any other the any other the big mega vendors, software vendors doing anything exciting out there? Yeah, well Microsoft are in the news. Actually they were in the local news, which was interesting. Well well, their 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 founder was in was all over the news. Bill? Yeah, well, I I heard about him and uh, the Daily Mail online, and <laughs> himself and Melinda yeah. and staff and Jeffrey. We're not here to talk about any of those things. The Jeffrey no, Epstein no, story, I, so. I, I didn't pick up. That wasn't a software story, so I would I wouldn't have picked up. I actually I probably do look in the Daily Mail for some tabloid for this. But Sorry, so. I think I'll, we'll move on. So we we'll move on from Jeffrey Epstein for sure. But their Irish registered subsidiary, which many of you will not heard of, have heard of, called Microsoft Round Island One. It's a holding company and it registered. What did they make? Well, they recorded a profit of 314 billion last year and paid a dividend to the parent company of just 55 billion. And quite remarkable, actually, because they have no employees. So take it out of that. It's one of these brass plates. Yeah, they have three directors, though. Oh, so three people. Yeah, US based. Oh, that's like 100 billion each. (laughs) Very very efficient. They're very good sales guys. Well, let's see. (laughs) So they're registered here, but they're not tax domiciled here. They're tax domiciled in Bermuda. I think we've we've read all the stories about the the complicated tax structures, Uh, but it's all legal. And, and a book board they do actually do they do have a, a an operating entity as people know maybe not everybody in the podcast knows in ireland which recorded revenues of 47 billion so microsoft irish operations here very close to our office here in sandyford and uh, and profits of just under 2.3 billion and paid 342 million doesn't sound like a lot in tax mm. but yeah 300 <laughs> 314 billion I of just, profit for a company with no employees. That's, I mean, I wonder what their target will be next year, you know? The, sale, the three sales yeah, guys. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that's not a bad contribution. I just think there's something, there's a bad smell off that. We'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll move on. Our old friend Larry's company, how are they doing? Larry, yeah. So, yeah, they've also been, you know, downgraded. So, Gee. you know, actually, it was quite interesting because they were downgraded by Oracle recent to what is known as equal weighting by the analysts. So equal- they were downgraded. No, they were downgraded by Oracle. Yeah, sorry, downgraded by Bar. Oracle was downgraded by Barclays. Barclays, yeah, okay, by sorry, Barclays. yeah, yeah. Kind of mixing up my yeah. metaphors and words here, but to equal weighting, which means hold, right? And re- probably because the the shares have have increased, they probably hit a target at which Barclays don't think they can go, go past. But only a couple of months back, Barclays upgraded them to overweight, which meant they were saying buy buy, and then two months later, they're now saying. They've downgraded them. So it's a bit flip-floppy on Barclays' behalf. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, but what they're basically saying is they can't see any real acceleration in growth. They can't see a path to 
you know, further gains um, and they've kind of hit their peak. So they're looking for kind of business accelerators in their core, but they just can't see them. I bet they're you they, they must be really looking after their customers as they boasted recently <laughs> on their, they, they yeah. talked about how many wins they had against SAP. Are they really looking after the customers still? I mean, in, in typical fashion, I mean, we talked about the good, the bad and the ugly of, of sales. We've, we talk about ABC, which, which Paul is coming out would probably know as always be closing, not in Oracle's world. It's, it, we all know it and our listeners would know it as audit bargain close. close yeah. But this is a classic. I mean, as, as we were discussing earlier, we've, we've recently had our own health service executive covertly attacked. Crit- by, critical. I mean, I'll talk about trying to attack, attack the health system. It's outrageous. Yeah, disgusting. I mean, whatever about yeah. weak this is that might be there. It's, it's just outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. So you're attacking critical infrastructure, health system obviously already under pressure and they're doing criminals criminals criminal activity yeah yeah. Uh, but it's covert but this is this is overt activity what do they do so essentially what they did was they pulled support software support and maintenance on kind of essential energy generation and the firm being escom in south africa okay so and they did it over the back over the fact that they said that escom are running too much software you know they said they were running more software than they were entitled to run right and they said that they were that they had underpaid by five hundred million dollars. Okay, so this is obviously always in dispute. That the, the big mega firms, the big vendors, always come up with a big, big number, and then they'll always settle for something much smaller. So this was in this, sharp dispute. Uh, this is outrageous. Outrageous, yeah. So what? So what happens is this: the, obviously, the the CEO of uh, Andre de Reuter, the CEO of Escon, says, "Look, there's no way we're paying that. They were in sharp dispute. So, but I'll tell you what we'll do, Oracle. We'll pay you what we think we owe you." Okay, and then we can resolve the dispute, but we'll pay you something now, and then we'll pay you what, what we resolve to be the final number. And they said, no, 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 we want we want our money, so we're going to cut support. So what happened was then Escon actually had to issue an urgent procurement tender to the third-party software market for Oracle software support so that they could get support for mission-critical systems. And as it turned out, they, 500 million was just a ruse. It was actually, it's it's come down from last our re- recording, uh, number two, 41 million, so less than a tenth of what they said they owed. Uh, now, Eskom say they only own about 12 million, so they were saying, yeah, we're, we think it's 12 million. But, like, they start with 500, they come down to 41. Yeah. And in the meantime, they cut off support. It's just crazy stuff. And I hear the, the perpetual... That's crazy, absolutely. I mean, and, and we know Oracle has survived off perpetual licences. I believe the perpetual licence is not dead. Perpetual license, yeah. I mean, it isn't. We have Microfocus, which I suppose good old-fashioned perpetual license saves have saved their, their H1. And they've turned around rather unexceptional trading figures on the back of that. And from reading what they've said, it's due to sales execution improvements. So some sales training, some better awareness of their sales team. And also bringing in a small number of deals earlier in the cycle. So good selling. If you can get the deals in early, yeah. right? Bolster your numbers, but yeah, they put it down to better sales execution. Uh, and they, do they have a big a software as a service kind of business model? That are they? Are they? They're just your traditional. They're just your like, tra- tra- traditional vendor. Yeah, I mean they've been struggling since since they bought HPE back in two thousand sixteen. I think they spent eight point eight billion on it. They've struggled with. They sold off an unprofitable uh, Sue's company, so they've kind of had struggles, but yeah. they've recovered. But yeah, it's good to see that good old fashioned sales execution has, has pulled them back from the brink. Right. Yeah. I'd be. I'd love to. You know, this is a good time to bring Paul in on this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because Paul, you talk about sales training. Paul Lanigan, I, I believe you're there. How are you? I'm fantastic. And yourself? I'm really, really good. I'm really good. It's good to see you again. 
and uh, I mentioned earlier that you come in on a, on a town hall together which was really really good I enjoy, I enjoyed interacting with you after you used to train me back in the old days uh, how, to, how to sell no, nobody needed to teach you how to sell Tomas you are, you're a natural that's for sure <laughs> well I'll remember to also have a very nice compliment next time I'm talking live <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much not a compliment it's a fact <laughs> Listen, we've we've been talking here about a bunch of different things that have happened, and we had a bit of a summary earlier about our events, which we're really really proud of. And you know a little bit about our podcast. You have your own podcasts, and you've had some great guests on the podcast, excluding me. You, you so you know what this is all about. One of the things we do on this show, Paul, is we're we're analysing, we're looking at the big software enterprise software players, the, the traditional ones, the IBMs, the Microsofts, the Oracles. Talked about Mike, Microfocus there, SAP, you know, the traditional legacy business enterprise vendors. You know really well, well from your own experience. You've worked in them, you've trained many of them over the years, the sales teams here in, in Ireland and overseas, and we always are trying to figure out how come. They've seemed to, in my, in our humble opinion, to have changed quite radically to be almost anti-customer. You know, companies were proud of their expertise and their skills in training their people. I mean, I went through IBM Sales School, which was a six-month training program. I mean, unbelievable training program. I mean, it still stands to me to this day. But I mean, and you look at that story there about microfocus. It just shows if you train your people, even if you're selling the what would consider to be the old technology, the perpetual licenses, it can work, can't it? It, it can, but your, your point about the customer part is, is an interesting one. I think it's overrated, and I, I think should probably qualify that. I think if, you, if you're big enough that you can afford to not be as customer-centric as a smaller player, you see it all the time. <clears throat> you used to see it with Ryanair as, as a perfect example most people can identify with. Now, I think they've changed their game for sure. But for a long time, it was like, screw the customer. And I've seen it with some of the big players as well. And, and to understand it and why they can get away with it is you just got to put yourself into the mindset of somebody who's buying that technology is that they will put up with slow response times, um, one-sided agreements because at the end of the day they've just got a project to deliver and they know the technology is the right technology for them they believe that and you know the old adage nobody ever got fired for buying IBM so you can get away with a lot of that and therefore you need to be significantly better at selling to compete against that because already the pitch is skewed to the advantage of the big player because the big player is in the mind of a buyer is usually a safer bet. Even if the technology solution isn't the optimum, it's a safer bet because I won't get in trouble for picking one of the, the, the big companies that was safe. But if I make a bet, and I saw this, I saw this with a company once, there was a company, they made um, internal stents and they were an outsource manufacturer of medical devices that went inside your body you know, highly tolerant machining going on there. And they were wanted to partner with a, a logistics partner in the Far East. So they were manufacturing a lot in Taiwan and th they needed to make sure that they had a good logistics partner in place. They had a, a big procurement process, brought it down to a final one. And the CTO who told me this story went to the CEO and said, we've been through the process, months of work, we selected this company. 
And the CEO looked at him and went, who are they? I've never heard of them. He said, well, they're the selection we want to go with and I want to run it by you before we announce it. We went through a detailed process. They're the best. The CEO, yeah, but nobody's ever heard of them. When something goes wrong, as it inevitably does with logistics, who are they go- what, what questions are they going to ask? Who selected them? Mm. And so they, he said, I, by the way, it's your decision, but I'm going to give you 24 hours to dwell on it. And he came back later and he said, we're going to open up the process again. And they ended up selecting FedEx instead. Even though FedEx didn't have the expertise and knowledge, the domain knowledge of, of, of medical devices that have to be kept at certain temperatures and humidity levels and so on. Even if they didn't have, they weren't the best, it didn't matter. Everybody knows FedEx. And so there is an element of that that you're up against. And partly in selling, you've got to be able to dig out those issues at the very beginning and, and, and put it on the table and say, look, we, we're not a well-known brand. What happens when somebody comes and questions the fact that you may want to go with a company that nobody's ever heard of when the other options are IBM, Oracle, Microsoft, SAP, and so on? What's going to happen then? And have those conversations early in the process so that you don't waste a ton of time between those highly conservative organizations that are always going to go with what they perceive as the safe option rather than the best value option. So the, the training then you'd give to a smaller player at that enterprise selling level and to an incumbent, which let's call them incumbent, the bigger players who have been around a lot longer, you've got to be better at selling, clearly, at the smaller player, but you, you've got to have different skills, don't you? You do, and you've got to have a different mindset. You've got to be able to engage with them and, say, and, and ask the question, and this is a question a lot of people run away from, and say, look, you've got a couple of options here, you know, big companies who are well-established in this market. Why not go with them? Mm-hmm. And then shut up. And, and the answer will be telling. If they can't say, well, we don't want to go with them because A, B, and C, then you're on a hiding to nothing. I mean, and I, that's not a guarantee you'll get the business, but at least it starts the conversation around the issues and challenges that they perceive they're not being addressed with. Or it could be a sense of maybe they feel they're being ignored and exploited. Like you mentioned earlier about IBM now focusing in on 500 companies. Well, I don't know about the ones at the bottom, but certainly if I was 501, 502, 503, I'd be feeling a little bit miffed right now. I don't know necessarily that that would be enough reason to change, but would it be an interesting conversation to have with somebody and say, well, how do you feel about the fact that they no longer want to deal directly with you? And how much of an issue is that for you? Because sometimes, you know, it's the reason people leave companies because they're upset with their manager. People leave leave vendors as well because of maybe how they've been treated, even though maybe the solution might be the best technical fit. There's the the, the, the emotional element as well is I, if I feel slighted to the right individual, again, and that's part of selling is understanding the makeup of the psychology of the individuals you're speaking to. Some people wouldn't be bothered by that. Others would be severely put out. And it's not, it's not important enough that they're put out, but unless they have the influence and power to change decisions in their organization, they can be put out as much as they want. And it's not going to make a damn bit of difference. So there's so much more going on than just showing up with features and benefits of of what you do. A lot of it is understanding the landscape and navigating your way through the psychology and the the processes and the systems and, you know, as in the decision-making systems 
and saving time as well. A good seller is almost happier with a no than they are with a let's discuss. Yeah. Because a no is, 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 is okay, I, I know what to do with a no. That's the K-N-O-W. I know what to do with a no. And 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 that can because if I'm saving myself time in chasing all of these dead ends, well, what can I do with that time? Now I can focus on those people who are maybe a little bit more risk adverse or at least willing to have that conversation with a vendor that may not be part of that 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 big tech company patch and say, you know what, I'm a champion of the little guy. When it's David versus Goliath. I'm always going to cheer on David. Now, I need to make sure that David is well-armed and that, that with David wins and I'm not going to be left exposed here, but, but I need somebody willing to at least take that decision. And that's always the, the challenge you have. I remember before I did this with Sandra, I was working for a, a small startup company selling into telcos. And it was always the same old story. Who are you? You're a risk. And I remember talking to a recruitment manager Years later, I interviewed him. I used to work with him years ago in Motorola. And he was the procurement purchasing manager in 02, I think, at the time. And we were talking about this concept of the best technical solution. And I said, I put it to him. I said, look, I said, I, I want you to imagine that I'm coming to you as the CEO of a small tech, very innovative company. And we've developed this solution that is both better and cheaper than what you've got. What would you do? And he says, I'd probably run a mile. I said, why? It's better and it's cheaper. He says, I'm not interested in cheaper. He said, my job is to protect the company. And if I see something that has any kind of perceived risk, I don't care how cheap it is. You could give it to me for free mm. and it won't make a difference. Mm. And, and it's, it's just the willingness and ability to, to, to just to understand that that's how people are and yeah. to flesh that out. Yeah, but that's a but that's a mindset though as well. I mean, and understanding the culture of the company. I mean, I've spoken to lots of companies who will, which is great. They'll tell me early, we're not for you, you know, and you walk away quickly. I think the problem with with some sellers is that you know maybe if they don't have a great pipeline, they don't want to hear no. So and it's not you know they're afraid to ask why not? Why would you not? Why would you not do it? I mean, I. I one of the best pieces of advice I got, <clears throat> sorry, it wasn't from you, Paula, but uh, but from the trading industry was not to ask why would you buy, but very early on ask why would you not buy? And uh, there's many reasons for that. We wouldn't buy because of risk or we wouldn't buy because we don't know you, but there could be lots of other reasons. And, and you ask different stakeholders in the company that you're talking to the same question. So you ask the head of procurement that question, you, ha- you ask the CIO the question, are there any reasons why you wouldn't? And then you'll get a broader spectrum of why nots and you can spot them early. But if you don't have a strong pipeline, salespeople don't want to ask because then that's the only deal they've got going for the quarter and they look yeah. exposed. But it actually, it benefits them. They can just move on. You know? Absolutely. And it is the flip side of what we started with, which is why not stick with what you have? Whether that's a vendor or a system, a way of doing it, doesn't matter. Mm. It covers both. Why not stick with the current system? And then you, you got to shut up and listen very carefully to what you're hearing. And that if it's, if it's anything like, well, we're always looking for something new, always looking for something that may be a little bit cheaper, they're not doing anything because they don't get rewarded for, for, for bringing in something that's a little bit less expensive. If, yeah. you know, my, 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 my father-in-law, who used to be a senior buyer within, well, he's a project manager, but had buying responsibilities within Guinness, Diageo, Guinness at the time. And he worked a lot with, obviously, you know, 
packaging and bottling plants and so on. And he was known for always going over budget. And I remember chatting to him about this. I'll never forget it. He said, nobody is ever going to thank me for saving some money if the project doesn't come in on time. Sure. That was his view. Wasn't his money, didn't care. People will spend an extraordinary amount of money to cover, cover their ass of other people's money. And so, and I just think it's that, it's that realistic thinking about how the landscape is rather than how we wish it were is a really important element of selling. At least that's what I took out of what I started first was, was that you know, it's, it's, it's so much about just trying to identify the truth. What's reality? Yeah. That's the starting block. And there's a, different, there's a different truth for the big guys versus the small guys, isn't there? Because... You know, you talked about earlier, I mean, the tactics, the skills that you need quite clearly, I, I would imagine it's a lot more entertaining to, and to, or it's challenging to train the guys working for the smaller companies than the bigger companies because they need different skills. I mean, clearly one of the skills the big guys need is the order taking skill. Uh, on, on the, watching the fax machine come through sometimes. Yeah. But actually, we, we've talked about some of the skills, well, the things that they use, which mm. are quite astonishing, some of them, uh, the ABC yeah, you know, which is well known as always be closing in a sales world, according to documentation that was given to us by a lawyer in the US, they're uh, the they have a tactic of called audit bargain close. Yeah, so they use the audit. Hmm. So it's not a skill; that's a threat. So well, here's the interesting thing: is it a skill? Are, it probably is a skill. Well, it, it is and it isn't. So it it, it does, but it does require a a, a brass neck, I think. Brass at times. neck, brazen. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I remember sitting down with a guy once and in my head, I was sitting down to do some coaching. I was going to observe him making some calls and how he got set up. And so I sat and he opened up this database he had beside him. And I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but it was a database he had beside him. And um, he, he contacted, he, he called up this guy and, and I was expecting a conversation around the issues and challenges of the business and what they were trying to do and so on. No, it wasn't. It was you're using X number of instances of our software and you're only li licensed for Y and uh, there's a gap there. And I'd like to talk to you about it. And I said to him afterwards, I said, you know, I was expecting this. He said, no, I said, this is a whole lot easier. He said, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. And, you know, yeah, are, are they appealing to a certain fear and pain and the prospect when they do that? Yeah. But and, and legally, they have massive leverage because once you're, it's established that you're out of your licensing, whatever's in your, your, your licensing agreement, once you're out of that, they, can, they basically can come in and order the hell out of you. Mm. And, and, and the same company, so this was an inside sales group, same company in their field sales group uh, had a name for it. They call it drive-by selling. They would literally drive up to this company, check it out on their phone. They're able to access their own systems, knock on the door, ask for the CFO, Tell the CFO, you know, it's in your interest to step out of here saying, look, you're, we, we could do you for three million. Give me a million and, and, and we'll call it quits. And they, they would literally make their year's target with a couple of those calls. So, and it's not selling. It's, 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 it's uh, debt collecting. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I would never hire somebody who, who had that experience if I wanted them to sell in a small company. No, it's not solution selling. It's, it's not. No, no, it's not. But but they're called salespeople. And if you looked at their their income and their commission record, it would look like they were high-performing sales reps. Mm. 
but then you put them into a real company where you have to survive on your skills alone and they just fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, and it's well, often the temptation of smaller companies to hire salespeople from bigger companies because they think they have that big company experience and they're able to do big deals. And often the case is not true. Now, in their defense, there's some wonderful salespeople. Some of the best ones I've ever met are in some of these companies. But it's it's not always the case. Far from yeah, it. But that probably there's probably room for another podcast here, which is about when you're hiring these people, put them through the appropriate process to tease that out, you know, that actually... Have they been doing any selling? You know, what have they sold? How do they do it? How do they go about it? How do they uncover the opportunity? How do they do it? And when it's, well, actually it was an, you know, the, you'll find out pretty quickly they haven't been doing any selling. They've just been doing debt collecting. Yeah. Um, but that's a skill in itself, isn't it? Like that whole, you know, finding the people. It is because you're right, Bernard. I would not be comfortable in that job as a debt collector, knocking on people's doors, saying, here's the only money. It's, it's not me. It's, 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 I, if, if, if I, would I do it if there's no other option and I needed to feed my family? Yeah, but I wouldn't be comfortable at it. So it does require a, a, a persona to do it. There's no question about it. I'm not, I'm not raining on that parade. Yeah. Tell, I'm just saying that. that let's not call it selling. Yeah. Tell us more about the good guy you talk, you mentioned there, some of the best people, because I think the ABC, the audit bargain close, definitely falls into either the bad or the ugly. You touched on, some of the best salespeople you've met in these, you know, anywhere. Other than Tomas. Other, other than me <laughs> and Brendan, of course, that you've met are in some of these companies. And no doubt they are, you know, because it is becomes a different sale later on in their career. Have they become so elevated? Have they stayed because they're so well paid? Or what's, what's the attraction for them to stay there? So well paid is a big attraction and they get a lot of kudos and a lot of awards. A lot of those big companies put a lot of money into presidents clubs and other forms and they pay really good money. If you're a top performer in one of those big companies, you can make half a million a year easily and, and maybe a million in some of them, depending. And uh, certainly when you're for on-premise software, they had massive commissions, but even multi-year contracts that are recognized for SaaS based solutions, uh, you can still make really, really good money. Mm. And, and and what they have in common, the things I've seen over the years, because I always looked at this with a level of curiosity, is that the, the discipline and focus was enormous. That, the, that you'd often see with the really high performers, really approachable people, humble, but also when I say focused, they, 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 they closed off a lot of things. Like you, I know if I went to some of these people and said, listen, I'm doing this podcast, will you come as my guest? They'd kind of look at it and go, okay, uh, what's in it for me? Who am I going to be talking to? Is this going to help me with my pipeline? And if they couldn't answer those questions, it would be like, listen, Paul, thanks, but no thanks. And, and they'd be clear about it. And it's happened to me. And, and so they're very hard to, 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 to get uh, because they're so focused on, on, on what they're doing, that single track. And it's the discipline and it's showing up every single day. Also, they get and are very good at identifying what people really care about. They know they don't care about their solutions, their hardware, their software, their services. They know that people are just um, in, want to solve a problem. And they're very good at bringing the right people together. They, they're good at the po understanding the, the politics. And I think a lot of those skill sets are not trained in the classroom by me or by their managers. They're earned on the street. 
by at six years of age, seven years of age, when you're interacting with other kids around you and you want to persuade them to come play with you or to you're knocking on doors trying to raise money for a school building or whatever it is. That it's it's it, that's where I believe a lot of the really successful ones are sculpted, and they'll have similar stories. Like you often hear about entrepreneurs, and you look into their background, and they're often from immigrant families, had to really really work hard to get where they are. A lot of it was it was in the the struggles and the obstacles that they had to overcome that honed them as individuals, that made them more resilient, and that made them more focused and insightful. It's also the same as true with salespeople. If you look into their background of um, how they grew up and where, what their family situation was like, what their friend circle was like, what you'll find is none of them had it soft. None of them did it. It, it, it gave them that edge. There's no two questions about it. It's not enough just to be smart and clever and understand how sales works. You've got to have that drive, that edge, that, that itch, that, that fire that's driving you on that you're never satisfied. Enough is never enough. It's not about the money. You're going to keep going because you're constantly at some subconscious level. You're proving something to yourself. You're proving something to somebody else who goes, maybe it's a teacher or a parent. You're going, see, I could do it. There's, yeah. there's something in them. Yeah, yeah. No, I can, I can, that, that certainly resonates to, as an entrepreneur. That, that definitely resonates. Yeah, when, when we want to get them also to do something, we say, you're not going to be able to get there. Yes. That, yes. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. I can identify right. that. Listen, I was going to ask you, but uh, you probably wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> we, know what, we know what makes them tick. Just like a little red rag. Just hold yes, on. Yes. Yeah. I, I can identify with that 100%. Yeah. I, I, a few, uh, 2007, February 2007, my wife, yeah. And I, um, do we have time for a quick story? Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. Yeah, so my wife and I, uh, her sister and her, and her husband were out in a restaurant, uh, just chatting, you know, it's post-Christmas and we were talking about goals and things for the year. And uh, my brother-in-law had trained twice for the marathon and had, hadn't done it. He had, with injuries and so on, you want, by the end he got to 20 miles, he had to, uh, he, he never actually entered the race. He had, had injuries beforehand and had to pull out of the race. So he said his goal this year was he was going to do the marathon. Um, my it came to me and oh Paul, what are you going to be doing this year? And I was kind of a little bit circumspect about it. My wife said, well, maybe you should do the marathon with Mark. It'd be good for the two of you to go out, you know, spend some time together and train together. And I looked at her and I gone, You crazy? What run? I mean, up to this point in my life, I had never run further than two miles ever. I just wasn't into sports as a kid. I was overweight, blah, blah, blah. I said, you must be, I hate, and I hated running, genuinely. I said, I hate running. She said, yeah, you're right. You're probably too old anyway. Oh. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Uh, that April, we had done the 10K together. By the summer, we'd done 10 miles. And in October, I finished that line in four hours in the marathon. No question <laughs> about it. And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't even thinking, oh, and this will show you. It was just, it ignited something. It's that you can't do it. You're too old. You're past it. There's nothing that will fire. And that's not for everybody. This is why I, I remember I said earlier, you have to understand somebody's psychology. Somebody else might hear that and go, oh, do you think so? Oh, I, I suppose you're right. Yeah. Right? Different reaction. You got to understand the person you're, you're, you're talking to. What's going what's gonna to light that fire? And once you've lit the fuse, you don't need to do much more. That's the beautiful thing about it. 
<laughs> I've one last question for you, Paul. Just illegal. Yeah. <laughs> I've one last question for you. you. We talked about earlier the the the, fi- the, the five hundred companies that are now in the top group, and everybody else who's in in the the also rounds. Interestingly, obviously, they will have people still trying to sell to these the five hundred and first company or five hundred and tenth company. If you were talking to the, that rep, who's now going to be dealing with, uh, and he's working for an IBM or an Oracle, I, he's got he's got somebody that it's pretty obvious they're going to be in bad shape. They're, they're going to have a potentially have a negative view. What would be the the number one tip you'd give that person, that sales rep? So he, I'm talking to a rep who is now working with a customer who's outside of the outside list, and he's in the just outside category. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would at one level I would be wanting to empathize and, and, and really connect with the, the buyer to say, look, how do you feel about this? And just get that. Let them vent. Let them, if they feel slighted, some of them will, some of them won't. But if they do, I want them to get that out. But I'd also be then looking at, well, how can I how can I sell this to them? Forget to sell products. I'd be selling to them that this is actually in their best interest, that they're going to get more attention rather than less. I'd be selling to them on the fact that look, the way it used to be in the past was that. If you spent more, you got more attention. And that's just unfair to customers like you. So what we decided to do was just hive them off and that we can, I can give you far more of my time and do what, that's how I'll be selling it to them. Uh, and, and that's what you're up against. So I wouldn't automatically assume that everybody's going to want, is going to be upset because I would imagine, because IBM are a smart company, you got to give them their kudos. I have a smart company that they've primed their reps on how to position the change and that they should have been doing this for some time, even before it was announced, they should be positioning the change as good for the, the, the 600 company, the 700 size area. Well, we, we have, we have a couple of stories from the, from the street, unfortunately, I think they should have had you in to help them with that Paul, Cause what, what, one of the stories we heard was from one of the companies who's in that category, I don't know what they're in the 500, but they're in the category of falling out of focus. They have telephone-based account managers. They get a call from the first guy saying, I'm going to, or an email, or introduce themselves, let's set up a call. The day before that call, that has to be canceled because the guy's changed role. Set up a second one and so on. You can see the picture. So it sounds to me like they could have done with your help on that journey. Um, and that's just not a training thing. That's an organizational yeah, thing. Yeah, no, it is. And, 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 that, and that shows maybe an element of arrogance. And, and, and uh, yeah, if they really, really, really cared about their entire customer base, they, they should have done this. And if they haven't, then shame on them. What I would be doing with the, those outside the 500 now, I'd be saying, I said, listen, um, when you told IBM that, you, you wanted things to stay the way they are and you wanted your account director the way you had them. How do they respond? Uh, and it's, it's called, you know, in the psychology it's called let's you and he fight. I'd set up an, an internal fight between them and, and, and tease out yeah. if, how upset they are over and say, when, when you told them that you needed this, how do they respond? Well, they, they didn't get back to me. How did you feel about that? Well, I'm really pissed off. Enough to look at something else? Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, look, can't promise that I'm, I have a, everything that they provided, but certainly happy to, happy to have the conversation. Yeah. And then I go. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. You've got your own sales leadership podcast. 
I've listened to some fantastic people. I have what's 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 who's who's on next or when? Are you oh, I have a, I have a few of them stacking up. I had a wonderful conversation with uh, Tom Castley yesterday. Tom is ex Oracle, a real thought leader in 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 sales. Just a wonderful guy to speak to. In fact, so much so he's agreed to be a regular guest, a monthly guest. People love. Uh, he's actually the last podcast I did with him. Highest rating podcast. Uh, he he has just a natural network, and he's a really really super guy. Um, I had Ganesh, but he's he's out already. A couple of uh, I did a conversation with a guy this morning who's based in Florida, and it was at ten o'clock. So he was up this morning at four o'clock for a five o'clock. Uh, that's dedication, and uh, that was just really interesting because very different type of person, personality, everything. And I love that because beforehand, unless I know them, I'm kind of going beforehand. Oh. Look, and I see the name and I don't know who they are. And I looked them up on LinkedIn and I know very little about them. And I'm kind of, because I'm, I'm really antisocial, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a kind of, and then I have the conversation with them and I'm lo- I love it because yeah. they're just, they're so interesting. Yeah. So, I, and I keep going through that. I, I go down to my son who's down, down in the office downstairs and I said, it's happened again, Ryan. I was, wasn't looking forward to this. I wanted to cancel it. Because I had a bad night's sleep last night and I was tired. So I wanted to cancel it. But I said, I, I couldn't let him down. I did it. And then I was delighted. And he says, you keep doing that. When are you going to bloody learn it? <laughs> <laughs> and I, maybe I'll never learn, but at least I know it. I'm aware of it. Thank, thank you, Paul. Stay there for a minute. We're going we're gonna to wrap up the show here. All right. Uh, Take care, guys. Yeah, appreciate that. That was, again, great content. Fantastic. I love talking about selling. Oh, well, I yeah, said, always I said, be closing. Yeah, yeah, always be closing. Yeah, do the yeah, do, my do. favorite movie, Glen Gary, Glen Ross. That's great. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, cracking movie, cracking yeah. movie. Listen, uh, thanks, Brendan. That was a good. Thank you, the boss. We yeah. had good fun Super. today. I'm yeah. glad I dressed my suit today for you. Yeah, and it's good that you were at you know an I event had, or a I few a, events recently. I have so. a face for radio, as you say. <laughs> you do. <laughs> or a face for podcasts. Sorry, man. You know. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a fifty. That's what happens. Uh, anyway, listen, we will be back. Back next month, having another guest. We must try and do oh, these okay. more frequently. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Let's have a chat about that. Uh, that note. Goodbye. <laughs> See you soon. Take care. Take care.